Welcome to the Built Around You podcast, the podcast dedicated to anyone building or renovating their home. Why is building a home so complex and stressful? Why do building projects run over time and budget? Welcome to the podcast Built Around You. If you're baffled by how complex house design, planning permission and building seems to be, then this is the podcast for you. When I was growing up, it always struck me that watching relatives or neighbours renovating or building their home, it always seemed so stressful. There seemed to be loads of dust, uh, loads of problems, loads of uh, unexpected bills. And of course, these projects seem to go on forever. I remember even our parents when we were young, there was like there was four of us young children and of course my two parents living in a small house in Middleton and we needed an extension. But my mum just couldn't face the idea of building an extension onto our house because, uh, because both her and my father were out working and it would have been way too stressful. So this is something that always stuck with me and I thought if I could gain some knowledge and experience in this field, this is something I'd like to change. So I studied civil engineering in UCC. I graduated in 1996 as a civil engineer, but I never really wanted to go into uh, to a design office. I wanted to work on site and learn how, how big builders um, operate and, uh, and how project management works. So I worked for building contractors in Cork, in London, in Manchester and Dublin, and I saw how big builders uh, project manage large projects, and I was able to gain an understanding of how project management really works and the value it adds. So in 2004, I set up my own building company, KMC Homes, building new homes in Cork and Limerick. So we started off as just a building contractor. Um, but even in this case, with, with all my knowledge and experience, I still found a lot of these projects were quite stressful. You had architects going in one direction, engineers going in another direction, and then you had QSs and all the builders, and, and the poor client was left out in the sidelines. And I still thought it was quite an uncertain journey. And I thought there must be a way of improving this process. So we began to manage the whole process, bringing architects, engineers, and all the builders and tradesmen to the table. So all the information was in one place, and, and all the experts were managed by us. And I certainly felt there was a huge improvement here when you all the knowledge and experience in one place managed for clients. Um, they had a much easier path uh, along their building process uh, and the whole journey was, was much more straightforward. So taking a step back from this, I thought the next logical step was to create an online resource where all this information is available in one place and there's tips and advice for people self-building at the very start of a, a new build or renovation journey. So that's what this podcast is all about. It's an online resource for anyone at the very beginning of a new build or renovation journey at the very start of their project. So today I'd like to start answering some questions I received on Instagram uh, at Kieran KMC. And uh, so let's dive straight into those. So the first question is from the Instagram handle ICF down at the lake. Um, with the rising energy costs, what would be your top five tips or inclusions while building your house to help reduce running costs? Um, well, well, the first thing, if you're building a new house, you have to comply to the new NZEB regulations. So your house is going to have to be an A2 uh, at, the, at the very least. Now, to, uh, to create an A2 house, what we would typically do is like you have a certain level of insulation in the floors and the walls, and that's all basically complying with, with building standards or building regulations. Um, 
we would typically specify uh, an air to water system, um, which is which is effectively um, replacing what would have been a gas or, or oil boiler in the past. So an air to water system will provide your heat now at a much lower running cost than gas or oil. And of course, you're not using fossil fuels anymore. And um, the only energy input is actually electrical input. So an air to water system typically works best with underfloor heating. So we would typically install underfloor heating on the ground floor. And if a client could afford it, we would install um, underfloor heating on the first floor. But this means putting in a, a concrete slab on the first floor. So you need to put in precast concrete slabs underneath this or, or maybe kind of I beams. So you're adding extra cost there initially, but you get the benefit of, of uh, underfloor heating on the first floor, which means you don't have rads in the way of, uh, of windows or beds or what have you in bedrooms. Typically, a plumber won't really charge any extra for, um, for underfloor heating on the first floor over and above uh, a radiator system. So it's, 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 a wor it's a worthwhile investment, really, um, although you will be paying more for the floor itself. Beyond that, you're, you're likely going to need some form of, uh, of active ventilation because um, it, with good building practice, you're going to be bringing your air tightness levels to quite a, quite a low level. So you're, you've, you've very little air leakage. But when you get a building as airtight as that, um, you need to control the amount of ventilation that's in the building because you don't have very much passive ventilation uh, through air leakage like the, the houses of old. So you would um, you'd install at the minimum a demand control ventilation system. Um, you could take it up a step further if you wanted to make your building even more airtight, uh, which is a cost. Um, and install a full heat recovery ventilation system. Now, the benefit of a heat recovery ventilation system is um, you are actually recovering heat from the expelled air. So you're taking out stale air, um, you're removing the heat from it, expelling it, and bringing in fresh air and using the heat you took from the um, from the expelled air and and preheating your your incoming air. So you're you're maintaining heat whilst improving the air quality of your house. Um, that's a full heat recovery ventilation system, which costs a bit more. A demand control ventilation system, um, again, costing a bit less, is you're more just removing um, uh, moisture-laden air principally from the wet areas of your house. So it could be the, the kitchen area, it could be the utility area, it could be your bathroom areas and showers and what have you. Um, beyond that, so like you're probably going to get up to uh, an A2 level at that and comply with building regulations. If you want to go a step further and head closer to kind of an A1 level, you might be installing photovoltaic. Now, there's a variety of different ways of doing that with costs from kind of seven or 8,000 euros up to maybe 15, 16,000 euros, whether you're putting in batteries or whether you're selling the um, electricity back to the grid um, or whether you're removing some of the excess power and generating um, hot water for your hot water system. So that's another thing you can add. Um, and that's certainly um, that's sort of going to get you up to uh, to an A2, um, possibly even an A1 level. So um, I don't know if I've covered all your five there, but uh, that's certainly how I would approach that, a project like yours. So the next question is from at Rowan Cat. Um, electric gates, what do you look out for? Um, Kind of a tricky question. Um, the, the first question really when you're building electric gates is how are you going to electrify them? So are you going to have a hinge system? Or are you going to have a rolling track system? Um, now, a hinge system works grand uh, on a level site. A rolling track system works best uh, when you don't have a level site, but you have enough room to the left or right of one of your pillars to slide back. So it, it, that kind of comes down to the terrain of the, of the site. Another thing to look out for is... Um, 
if you're on a very windy or coastal site, a rolling track system is better because it's much more robust. Um, if you can imagine heavy winds blowing in and out of your driveway in the middle of winter, and uh, particularly on a coastal area where the winds tend to be higher anyway, um, they'd be blowing against your gates, which are opening and closing against the wind, and eventually you'll kind of start burning out the motors. So, so that's well worth considering. Um, I would generally, as, as a kind of a, an insider tip, I would generally try and get the same company making the gate uh, and automating it because if you split that up it's a nightmare trying to get the, the, the gate manufacturer to speak to the automation manufacturer and they've got to um, they've got to talk about the different weights of the gates and the resistance and all that sort of things and if anything goes wrong you're kind of in the middle between the two of those so if you can get one company to do everything it's worth it even though if it narrows down the amount of companies you can, you can choose from like you can probably just get a photograph of a nice gate you've seen on Instagram or, or Pinterest or what have you and send it on to these uh, outfits and they'll generally be able to work from that that's that's what I typically do and uh, they'll give you price options um, I probably get it factory finished as well get it galvanized and get it factory finished in a certain color because it'll save you doing it and again it's probably a more robust color in the end of the day so uh, never realized there was so much to know about literary gates actually I started answering that question so so I hope that's of value to you so the next question is from at Sinead.Egan509 um, I want to do a 30 square foot extension, was hoping to do in the next two years, but with the prices, uh, should we wait? Will the prices decrease on materials or will they keep rising? Uh, great question, Sinead. Um, I can't answer definitively because um, like any builder's prices are as a result of the manufacturer's prices and the wholesaler's prices and going back to the commodity markets. Um, and people always say, should builders' prices never go down? Well, they did go down in the recession um, and down a fair bit. But, um, OK, so the first thing that went up, uh, you know, a year and a half ago was was timber. Timber, timber started going up, uh, PVC started going up, steel started going up and insulation started going up. Um, and then later, more composite materials um, started going up and then towards the very end, like uh, concrete and uh, and concrete products and aggregates and all that kind of quarried materials that are going up. Um, initially, all this was due to the, um, the post-COVID lockdowns being eased and construction industry firing up again and everyone kind of wanted to get stuff done in their home because they've been stuck in their house for the last year or year and a half or whatever it was. So there was massive demand on the construction industry and uh, all this demand was drawing down on uh, material supplies in Europe and even in the States. Uh, that has since washed through the system and now, of course, with the very unfortunate war in Ukraine, uh, things are very different and um, and we're, we're all dealing with rising energy costs and, of course, um, a lot of these energy costs come into construction, um, be it for producing materials or indeed for, um, you know, think of an excavator driver on site, he's using um, diesel as his machine is running and all the builders are coming and going with vans, so just energy costs are going up in, in every direction. Uh, to answer your question, should you wait for two years? It's a very hard question to answer because like timber has come back a little bit. Steel has kind of leveled, maybe come back a little bit. Um, I know even talking to a zinc contractor as late as yesterday evening, zinc has come back a little bit. They're hoping it'll come back a little bit more. So there are early signs of improvement on some of the materials. I know concrete and aggregate is probably still going up post Christmas. And of course we have the concrete levy, which is, which isn't going to help. Um, so they're going to still going up. So, you could take a view that things are kind of leveling now. Um, I suppose we know an awful lot more about the war in Ukraine and the um, the outcomes in terms of energy costs. 
Um, I don't think anyone knows how all this is going to play out um, because we don't know what's going to happen in Ukraine. Um, but whereas some things are still going up, some things have leveled and some things are coming back a little bit. So you could take the view that things are kind of leveling a bit now and going into the future, they should improve. I do think things that if if com- if things start reducing, will builders' prices start reducing? I think they'll they'll have to, to be quite honest with you. Um, so so you can take a view on that yourself. Um, I, another thing I would say is like it kind of depends on your own circumstances. Like I know we renovated our house last year and we could have waited a bit longer, but we, we just felt our kids were at a certain age. They were like in their early teens and you know they're, they're not going to be at home forever. So we thought, look, it's very important for us to have the nice next few years when the sh- our children are still at home before they go off to, you know, do a trade or go to university or start working or whatever. It's nice to, to have them at home and have the house nice while they're at home. So we took a view of doing things sooner rather than later. Um, so kind of it, it comes down to your family circumstances as well and where you are in your life and then, of course, what your budget is. So I don't know if I actually answered your question, but I think I've hopefully given you a bit more information so you can make a, a more informed decision. And so the next question is from at Albi1Kenobi. Um, lots of condensation on our bedroom and ensuite window. No fan or vent in the ensuite. How to fix this issue? Well, I mean, condensation is caused by two principal reasons. Um, you have warm air condensing on a cold surface with inadequate ventilation. So um, so ideally what you'd be doing is um, you'd be you'd be ensuring that this, the cold surface is as warm as possible, so as well insulated as possible. So if you have a single glaze window, that means having a double glaze. I, I wouldn't be promoting going to triple glaze in this particular instance, um, given that it's an ensuite window and probably a small window. Uh, so I'd certainly ensure the surface is as well insulated as possible. Um, then you can look at the ventilation. I mean, in the past, people used to use kind of ventaxia type vents where you hit a switch in the wall and the vent, the, you could hear the, the fan whizzing away. Um, or maybe it came on automatically with the light. Uh, things have moved on a bit since then. Oh, it is the cheapest way to, to install a, a, a ventilation system in your own seat, no doubt. But people have moved on from that, so people are typically using a demand control ventilation system, which uh, which is an active ventilation system. So when you generate um, steam in your shower, so it's kind of water vapor, um, that calls on the uh, ventilation system, and it'll extract the, uh, the moisture-laden air from your shower area through a duct system and out through a vent in your roof and bring in some fresh air to replenish that through to a vent in your window. And so the next question is from Pauli Kavanagh. Is triple glaze worth it with a U value of 1.2 compared to 0.7 for an extra 3,000 euros? Uh, okay, so th- it's a tricky enough question to answer because like 3,000 euros over what? I mean, what is the percentage? I mean, are your windows coming in at 18 grand and now all of a sudden they're 21 grand? Are they coming in at 35 grand and now all of a sudden they're 38 grand? Because, you know, it's a, it's a different percentage on the overall sum and it gives you some sense of kind of where your budget lies and priorities. It also depends on what you're looking to achieve in the overall house. Are you an A2 trying to get to an A1? Are you just trying to maintain your A2 and put your best foot forward? Um, what I would say is like triple glaze is great for um, primarily for a, a north elevation or a south elevation. In a north elevation, you try and make your windows that bit smaller to prevent against heat loss and triple glazing will also pre- prevent against heat loss. 
on a southerly elevation, your windows can be li that little bit bigger because you'll get um, you'll get a bit of solar gain, and your best views and light will, will come from your um, from your southerly elevation. If you have a lot of glazing on your southerly elevation, and you want to protect against excess solar gain in the summer, maybe in a sunroom. Um, it's, it could be well worth installing triple glaze for, for this elevation. Now, you could take a view on your east and west elevations if you don't have a whole lot of glazing there because you're not going to get as much solar gain and you're not going to get as much heat loss. So you could take a view that just maybe use your triple glazing on the front and rear elevations and maybe step aside on the uh, back to double glazing on your, on your east and west. Maybe that's a, a, a value call you can make. So the final question is from at Mick underscore Barco. Um, experience in getting windows from outside Ireland, for example, Poland. Um, personally, I've never bought windows from outside Ireland. Um, not to say I wouldn't, but uh, I suppose my concern here is like when people are building a home, obviously everyone's trying to cut costs and particularly in today's climate when costs have, have soared so much. But like you really have to think a building project isn't really over uh, as soon as, you know, you you turn the key and walk in the door of your new home or extended home. What happens in two years later if there's a problem with the window or a problem with a variety of windows and you need to contact someone to come back and fix it? Now, if you're getting them from Poland, uh, the Polish people won't be coming over from Poland to install them. So you'll probably be installing them yourself or maybe getting a, a building contractor to, to install them. But the problem is now you've broken up the supply element from the fit element. So that will affect your warranty. If there's an issue with the windows and the Polish company haven't fitted them, they might say, well, look, maybe they weren't fitted properly and, and maybe they weren't fitted properly. So you could have warranty problems. Um, I'd also prefer to have a local company uh, supply and fit the windows because if there's an issue, at least they'll come back, you know, if they're only down the road to come back and fix the window. Um, so I, I'd always be concerned about, you know, two years later when a problem happens because that really, that can be a very significant thing on the windows of your house. So I haven't imported windows myself. I worked on a project years ago where the client imported the windows and, uh, and they were looking for us to fit them. And uh, I didn't think it was a great idea to be quite honest with you and uh, I personally wouldn't recommend it. So thank you very much for tuning into the Built Around You podcast today. Um, today was our maiden voyage of course. Um, I hope you found some valuable tips and advice there. Um, if you have any other questions you'd like to send them in to Instagram, my Instagram handle is at Kieran KMC and we're going to have another uh, exciting podcast for you uh, next Monday. Um, where we'll be interviewing someone who's actually renovated their home and we'll hear their story. So speak to you then. Mm -hmm.